Layer 3 is a contract research and development firm specializing in Web3 and blockchain infrastructure. Their goal is to break down barriers of limitation and offer growth of innovation to the emerging tech space. They offer a plethora of services such as blockchain consulting, development, infrastructure, and more. Layer 3 can help take your idea from incubation to MVP to release. To learn more, visit layer3.blockbytes.com. What's happening, you beautiful bastards? My name is Austin with Black Bites, and welcome to Across the Chains, episode number four. With me, as always, my wonderful co-host, Mr. Crypto Clay. How are you, sir? Nick Dracon, good to see you. Your background looks tropical as always. Buns, good morning. Hello. How are you? Hello. Top Hello. of the morning. Bebus, did you just get back from, uh, what is it, Com- Comic-Con? Or anywhere where that shirt would make sense? Uh, is that- <laughs> what, what are you wearing? <laughs> So this shirt is a beautiful artwork depicting two epic dragons battling in the sky. Mm. I thought I would. Beavis is my baby daddy. Yes. <laughs> so have you, are you a House of Dragons fan? I've been I've been watching it. It's been no one of those. Over. I haven't. I haven't. I watched the first few seasons of Game of Thrones, but honestly, that's like it's so gratuitous. You know, it's so crazy. I did watch. Smile uh, last night though, and I screamed in the theater. Uh, okay. it was, like, really scary. Okay, <laughs> highly Double recommended. Shark. Welcome home. Did you guys Hello. catch anything when you went fishing? Double Shark was in uh, was in Hawaii, uh, wearing lace and doing fun. Yeah, shit. we we all caught at least one fish, as my friend said, and then we also all caught at most one fish. Uh, <laughs> but so, it was still fun. It was it was uh, you know it was fun hanging out with friends out on the water. So we didn't catch a ton of fish, but that wasn't the important part. Last time I was in Hawaii, I went to Maui. I was 13 years old, and prior to that, I'd lived in in Tokyo for four years. So obviously, raw fish was a part of my diet every week. And we went out fishing, caught this huge skipjack tuna, and the guy cut a fillet off, and I ate it on the dock, and it really like fucked people up. Uh, I I made some friends that day, but not not for the good reasons. It's the same as sushi. It doesn't really matter. All right, so so we have some fun stuff going on today. Courtesy of Mr. Nick Dracon, we are going to be giving away a couple of these Pirate Life uh, NFTs. Now these are they're not just NFTs; they're uh, financial NFTs. So they have a couple of liquid driver tokens in there. I don't know which ones you're going to get because Nick currently has them. Uh, but here's how you win them. Uh, so the best comments of the day, Nick's going to pick one and I'm going to pick one. And now I don't know what Nick, what kind of comments Nick is going to pick. I can tell you, I will be picking the best. So the comment that makes us laugh on screen the most will win from my side. And that's generally going to be a troll comment on somebody. (laughs) And just, and just to balance out. Um, that clown <laughs> show, um, I will pick the most thoughtful and interesting question or comment um, just so that we can have a good balance um, of good. good and evil in the comment section. And shout out to Crypto Home for the uh, the NFT collection. Yes. 
Yeah, big shout out to Crypto Home. Oh, speaking of shout outs, real quick, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, the guys over at the Tomb Heads NFT auction house. So they've been doing the Phantom Underground uh, NFT awards. Uh, the voting has been going on for a while, uh, and it actually closes here in, I would say, about a week, I think October 16th. Yep. PhantomUnderground.com is where you go to vote. The actual event, the awards ceremony, I guess you call it that, happens on October 29th. So go check these guys out. They're just cool as shit. They've just always been cool as shit, and I, I just love love support people like that. So let's get into it. We got we got we got some stuff to dive into, and I don't know that we're going to keep to our 10 minute per topic thing. So uh, <laughs> unless you were living under a rock or bartending last night, like Emmett was. Uh, you probably knew there was a, a, a huge, massive hack over on BSC to the tune of 2 million BNB, uh, which had a, 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 we'll call it a retail value of uh, roughly 550 million, 600 million, give or take a couple. Wow. And some really interesting shit went on here that I know Justin at Double Sharp and Clay hopped on like immediately when this was going down and started rapping about it. So who wants this one? Who's got the juice? You want to go first, Double Sharp? Sure. I mean, I guess um, if you want, I guess I can start with just sort of describing the technical side of it. Um, it was basically, it was a replay attack where they, uh, someone was able to take an old transaction from the Tendermint chain um, and bridge uh, or, you know, trick it into to creating a million BNB tokens two different times. And the way that it, it you know, sort of broke down is they were able to take um, an old block height, an old, an old transaction that, that came through and construct their own per proof for it. Um, it, you know, I was sort of digging through and then read one of the, the threads on Twitter explaining how it was, um, how it was actually exploited, but it's sort of the summary is that they rolled some of their own, um, or that they were using their own pre-built contract to do Merkle proof um, validation, and there was a bug in the verifier, so the attacker was able to construct their own proof to validate that the the transaction through the bridge was valid. They were actually able to do this, obviously, more than once. So they got two million BNB instead of just one million. I was actually sort of surprised at how long there was a gap between the the exploits. So they, you know, did it once, started moving stuff around like an hour, two hours later or something. They did it again. It took them several tries to get it to go through. Um, so it's, yeah, on the, I mean, on the technical side, it was relatively complex. I think it sort of highlights why it's good to just use standard encryption libraries and, and leave it to, don't try and, you know, run your own stuff just to make it a little bit faster. Um, and I'm not even 100% sure why they had that included as a pre-built contract um, or pre-built function. But that's um, that's sort of, you know, the the gist of how the exploit happened. And the, the bridge yeah. is, as far as when I looked last, the bridge is entirely empty. So um, somebody yeah. said it could have been worse, but I'm not actually sure how because the bridge is empty. I guess they could have used the same, the same, if anyone else is using the pre-built contract, I guess they could have exploited something else too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Basically like, um, you know, uh, to, to give the reader or the viewer some context, um, when you're validating transactions, you're usually 
um, constructing what's called a Merkle tree, which is a data structure where you're taking usually time as the main separating factor. But um, think think of the blockchain like a series, like like a big tree of data, um, where each leaf of the tree um, is a different piece of data that's been verified. And over time, um, you can do something that's pretty much called a checksum, where you can like take the whole tree and you can like you know smash it together into a single uh, cryptographic hash. And you can often compare um, your hash to that one to prove that it's valid. So if you're updating state and you want to say, hey, this change in state or this change that I'm making is valid, you can just compare it to that one um, and, and the system will know. Um, so what this guy was able to do was he was able to string together a bunch of uh, like how they how they validated transaction is they used like an array of, of operations and what exactly those are I'm not totally sure uh, to be honest but um, basically what this guy was able to do was he was able to construct uh, a hash that made the bridge think that he was a withdrawer that deposited a year ago from an admin BNB account. Um, so there was a move on the bridge like a year or so, so ago from an admin, probably just moving BNB somewhere or funding the bridge or doing something similar where they deposited that amount. And then he submitted a hash. He forged a hash. Basically, uh, the issue allowed people to forge arbitrary proofs. Um, he submitted that and then the bridge was like, oh, this is the guy from a year ago. Let's give him his million BNB. And he did that twice. Shut um, so, the hell up. Is that for well, real? The other part of that is that it, it yes. did require him, to deposit, <laughs> him or her to deposit 100 BNB to become a relayer. So my, you can. My um, are nasty. You can. You, they, they were able to be a relayer so that they were able to then submit the, the proof themselves, which was the handle package function. Um, it is using an increment. It's like a little bit different than Merkle trees that. I mean, I guess they are used pretty commonly in black trees, but it's an incrementally updated uh, Merkle tree. And the, like Justin was just saying, the, the way that you, you would validate this whole tree of data usually is you take a piece of it, the proof, and then you can use the proof to go all the way down to the root hash that proves that all of the data in the tree is valid or you'd get a different root hash. And the, the verifier function, you were able to, if you constructed the proof in the right way, you were able to get it to exit early and return your hash is the root hash when it wasn't really the root hash. And so that's how you were able to construct your own, um, you know, your own withdrawal uh, package and say like, this was actually mine. Here's the proof that it was mine and, and take it out. Yeah. Honestly, so it was away with, pretty sorry. Go ahead. Are they getting away with the money? That's what I was going to ask. Like, what are the impacts? Yeah. Like, who are the biggest losers? Is it, is I don't it, think so. I mean, the, I, the, they froze, oh, go ahead, right? They, they, they froze yeah. the SC, I mean, which a lot of it was left on there, and they bridged some to Phantom, which you know multi-chain froze, froze that on ten, this end. 10% of Phantom TVL is this hacker. <laughs> is, is, this hacker. <laughs> like, uh, is, like, is, is the biggest but, loser Venus, the lending platform? Like who, like no, who actually They didn't knows? lose. No? Yeah. No, well, I, think, I mean, I so, think so, This wasn't stolen either. This was just created. Mentioned. So there's an extra two, two million people yeah. now. Right. So like right now, um, we don't know who the biggest loser is because we don't know if Binance is going to roll back the chain or not. 
Um, and figuring out whether it's a good business decision to roll back the chain or not. Like, I feel so bad for those decision makers because they are probably going to be up all night for like weeks analyzing the problem. Um, I don't think they're going to roll it back. I, I think I don't either. Ultimately, Binance is going to technically be the biggest loser because I bet they end up covering $100 million of it. But it's too million. And I say that because. That's huge. Because CZ posted something about this is a quarter of our last BNB burn. Um, right. So they're, yeah. they're basically that. saying like, well, we're going to absorb it is what it sounds well, like. He, he's, he mentioned something about them getting away with $100 million, which mm -hmm. is what, 20% or somewhere in there. So that, that leads me to believe, you know, that that's probably about right on. They froze what's on chain. They froze, I'm assuming, what came over to Phantom, <laughs> even though. Well, the, I don't think the Phantom stuff could be frozen. It was put into... Um, FUSDT or it was I I was looking at it and the contract that it's in can't can't be frozen and then there were also some uh, uh, on AVAX it's in Trader Joe and that was I don't yeah. think that that can be frozen either. Um, my understanding is that most of the Binance assets and um, Tether was frozen, but something some tens of millions are in assets that can't be frozen. Likely will just get kind of spread out. Well, yeah. you know, if this is going to hit anywhere, like I'm glad, like not to say I'm glad it's hitting Binance, but I am glad it's hitting to a place that's probably the most well-funded operation <laughs> in crypto right now. Yep. So they can, they can handle it, you know. Was this the biggest bridge exploit thus far? No. Uh, it's not, no. It's not. Axie was. Ronin? Axie, Axie was. Ronin? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like it's, it was only like... A shit coin. Not, I mean, I think BNB is like, you know, great and all, but it's it's not like they took USDC or ETH or whatever. Right. They did kind of on the back end. It's like the biggest the biggest loser here to me is Venus because they are taking on all this like, quote unquote, bad debt. But honestly, like it's not really bad debt because it's BNB and it's backed by Binance, you know, and um, they're all the stable coins on their platform were drained. Uh, which is a big issue, but liquidators are going to start paying those assets back. Um, and, and the thing is, Binance is also like one of the primary investors in Venus. So they're probably going to cover that as well. Like they cover the Ronin bridge hack. Like, yep. you know, I'm sure they'll cover many things in the future. Um, and the thing is, like, at first it was pure chaos because they were sending stuff all over and we're like, what the hell is going to happen? And then like, Chain was paused, Tether paused some addresses, everything was like sort of quieting down. And then it was like, oh, it's just Binance might have to cover 100 mil. Um, and, and the thing is, because it was all BNB tokens, like they also might not. It might just have to be BNB investors. Um, so we'll, we'll see how things shake out. Um, I, I really think it's not that big a deal at the end of the day. When, and then so the other... The other aspect of all of this is that, th and the timing in all the articles is kind of off too, because they said like 90 minutes after the hack, but this, like I said earlier, it was like over the course of several hours that this was happening, people were looking at it. I was trying to get in touch with Binance before the second one happened, but I didn't, don't know how to get in touch with anybody. Nobody can um, get in touch with anyone over there. So, <laughs> so that was, and then by the time I actually did finally get in touch with somebody, and then like right when I checked, I was like, and the bridge is empty. So that's like, <laughs> super helpful. Too um, but they, so right. 90 minutes afterwards, they, they paused the chain and people were saying, like, is it really decentralized? How decentralized? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't, uh, my understanding isn't that like Binance pushed a button to pause the chain. 
Um, yeah. I think that it was, they decided to, and then contacted the community validator operators to say, we should pause the chain. This total process took 90 minutes, whether that's decentralized or how decentralized or whatever is up for debate, I suppose. But, um, just CZ they, going through his like friends list or whatever. Yeah, did you probably did you see the, uh, all the, the images that, of CZ's eight yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the caption tweet that Sifu, yeah. I think it was Sifu put up that was, it was captioned, <laughs> so said, funny. select all the Binance validators, just different pictures of CZ. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that was hilarious. The irony Who knows? of coming from Sifu, but whatever but, but they did, um, they did release a new binary for their, their client today that blocks transfers from that uh exploiter address and so anything any assets on at least the binance chain that even if they're not frozen like i believe that that address is frozen so i don't think that that address can transact on binance hmm. anymore or bsc and um because the pre-built contract is also baked into the node client i'm pretty sure they patched that too interesting i think one interesting takeaway is how easy regulatory agents can intercede in that as well you know, like yeah. if they decide, hey, Binance, stop doing this. Seems like it doesn't take too long to make that happen. But... Yeah. Well, and that's, it, it, I mean, and there's there's also a debate for like, how is that actually that bad of a thing? Or would it, would it be better if everybody lost 600 million? Or is it better for a right, group of yeah. people to be able to decide that it, it you know, should be rolled back? Um, you know, I'm sure that lots of people listening probably fall on the like, it is what it is. You shouldn't be able to roll it back. It's immutable. You know, there's plenty of people uh, who, who feel differently once they actually get hacked. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's like we've already had our outrage episode, you know, on BSC centralization. I think they've settled into the market as the premier centralized, you know, blockchain solution. And you know what? Like, that's why the market is wide and broad. You know, it's like, if you want decentralization, you hit up Ethereum. If you want centralization, you can hit up Binance, you know. Um, Solana. And the, yeah. And if you like, and Solana goes down like once a month. So it's <laughs> we're like, going we to get to that. I was going to say Asterix Solana. <laughs> yeah. For sure. We should be used to this stuff by now. So yeah. it's like, or I'm just, like, beyond just go with an L2 if you want to be like purely centralized. <laughs> All right. So speaking of going down, I think that's probably a good segue into talking about Kim Kardashian here. So uh, the SEC, sorry, yeah, Kim, Kim, if you're watching, I apologize. Wow. Uh, SEC charges Kim Kardashian uh, for promoting an unregistered security, which was uh, Ethereum Max. And she wasn't the only one. There were a bunch of people doing it. Uh, she she came and ponied up uh, one and a quarter million bucks basically to make it go away, which there's a lot to this. It's not just like, oh, a celebrity did something stupid and promoted an unregistered security because let's face it, she did. But uh, but the took fact, money for but, it. Did she? she, 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 she oh, yeah, security? Well, I mean, in, in Gary Gensler's eyes, it is. In but Gary she took Gensler's 250K eyes. for it and didn't disclose it. That's the problem. What is it? Well, actually, man? that's not true. She did. She put hashtag ad on it. You know, is the she? old hashtag NFA, which is ironclad. Like, you'll never go to court if you put hashtag NFA in there. <laughs> but, but here's where it, it really got interesting is that Gensler was like, the morning they released that, he was waiting to pop on CNBC. And he, did you guys see that goofy ass Dude, video? He lost the attention. Like he well, there was there was more to this. I mean, a lot of the chatter that I've been hearing on the back end thinks, okay, this is kind of a publicity stunt uh, because he's gunning for you know Treasury Secretary when that comes up, and 
I had I had dinner with somebody last night who's really involved in like crypto politics and things, and she she gave me a little bit of kind of back end uh, information as to how this is actually going down. But there was I think there was a lot to it, and I think Kim was a very good high profile target. And the take of the day: if somebody bought Ethereum Max because Kim Kardashian shilled it to them, I don't think the SEC is going to prevent them from making poor choices with their money. I think they're probably going to continue to make poor choices with their money because nothing about Ethereum Max uh, was great. I think the, their claim Ethereum? to fame, their claim to fame right now is you can buy like a sweatshirt from them. I think that was the last tweet I saw on their uh, on their Twitter. I know account, some guys so. like that. Anyone? So uh, anyone want to? I mean, if they have you dragons want... <laughs> on them, I might be interested. There, there are implications here. Um, obviously, she's an easy target. Um, the fine could have been 10 million. She wouldn't have cared and just paid it. Um, so, it, you know, it's grandstanding by the SEC, but it also shows that they have teeth, right? If they come after you, you're kind of toast. You either pay mm -hmm. the fine or you're in a lot of trouble. Um, and I think, I, I think only Mark Cuban fought them and won, um, on an insider trader case that, that, that was bogus. So I, I think what ends up happening here is there'll be a lot more of these things, um, because he likes the publicity and there are so many easy targets. Floyd Mayweather comes to mind, um, oh, much God. more egregious behavior than, than what, um, Kim Kardashian did. Um, and then you go down the list of the celebrities and at some point, hopefully they end up, you know, with the BitBoys and the, and the crypto banters and all these other people that are, that are crypto natives and have more sophisticated ways of, of, of policing individuals. But I think it's positive, even though, um, uh, Gensler and, and, and the SEC's motives are grandstanding. I think, you know, over a decent enough time duration, um, people might think twice um, because not everyone has deep pockets where they can just pay the fine. Um, so I, I, I actually think it's really positive. Um, you know, if a dozen people get fined in the next six months, um, you should see less of this crap going on next year. Hopefully. And um, I have a question. I have a question. Just is this supposed to be something the SEC covers or the FTC? Because the SEC, as far as I understand it, works with securities. And one, Emacs hasn't been ruled as security. So that's already one questionable aspect of it. And the second yeah. thing is the FTC is who's usually working with the consumers and well, the CFTC protection. So I, I do have a take on that. Uh, and the take is <clears throat> so again, dinner last night, this kind of got explained to me that there, there was a whole ton of companies that actually registered with the SEC five years ago. And the, the bar that they were given to when you move from security to commodity has to do with decentralization, the level of decentralization that you actually have with your project. Surprising. I was pretty surprised to hear about that. All of those companies that registered with the SEC are still in limbo. And this was five years ago. And so I think where a lot of the argument comes in is you've got people saying, you guys are making up the rules as you go. And then enforcing those rules to help get a precedent so that you can prove that your rules were correct, even though your authority has to come from Congress. And that's another big gripe about Gensler is that, you know, when he was first given the uh, the SEC chair role, you know, the crypto community kind of cheered for that because he taught blockchain at MIT. He was like this guy that everyone just kind of assumed he was going to be a champion for crypto. And unfortunately, what's happened is Congress has also put him in that position and said, Nah, he knows more than us. He's pretty much got it. You know how many times this guy's been called in front of Congress to report on his job in the last like two years or a year? That many. Damn. That's that's part of his gig is he reports in his, Congress. 
extrajudicial enforcement era right now. Judicial. Uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, the thing is, if you if you know a lot about blockchain, you know, let's say you're you've worked in the industry, like these scams piss me off too, you know. And if yeah. I'm about them, and and I could, I mean, I'm not an extrajudicial kind of guy, you know. But if Gary, you know, if if Mr. Gensler is like really, you know, oh, get these scum out of the street. If he wants to be that guy, you know, like, I mean, I, I think a lot, a lot of, of what he's doing is like, you know, I don't want to see Uki Dow, you know, get sued by like some random guy. But, you know, if, if you're to, and maybe one can't exist without the other, but there's got to be a precedent I would like somewhere. Celebrities to stop shilling, you know, coins and whatnot. I think that's not productive at all. I think that's bad for the industry. Yeah. Um, he just needs to find like, why can't he just do exactly what I want and none of what I don't? You know, <laughs> have any of you guys I mean, ever thought that about anybody before? Well, you know, this brings up a larger topic, and that topic is uh, how ethical promotion within the cryptocurrency space. And being that we are a media company here at Blockbytes, like this is a really key yeah. thing uh, that we've got to hone in on and be super careful about. And yeah. I think. You know, there's there's been a lot of influencers recently that have been a target of uh, like Zach XBT, who does, you know, awesome work. Um, any of you guys have like an opinion on this, like how this is going to go? Nick, I think you touched on this a little bit that saying, hey, this is positive. If a dozen of these guys get get bitch slapped by the SEC, maybe we'll see this start getting cleaned up. I mean, I, I think it's needed. Like how, how many times do you see retail get body bagged by 100 influencers on Twitter that are pushing, you know, clearly being paid by probably one entity up top to go out and push all this crap everywhere. And you're talking about Kim Kardashian, who's got 70.5 million Twitter followers, which I'm sure you know, she probably didn't know this was going to be the outcome, uh, I would assume, obviously. But we see it all over the place. And, and frankly, like even the channels that exist out into the you know YouTube sphere, there's a lot of shit that gets shilled that really shouldn't be talked about in the way that it is. And who knows who's getting paid by who? Um, and it's usually, you know, I, I guarantee that a lot of people are getting paid upper funnel. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully this actually helps to shake out some of that because I think it's it's bad for crypto. It's bad when people lose, you know, they blindly invest, you know, 20% of their net worth and they lose it in some rug pull. It's just not good for anybody. So, um, it, it, I think it, it's, it definitely, it's definitely going to quiet down on the celebrity front, right? Because this is how those discussions go right now. Your business manager comes to you, you know, your XYZ celebrity and says, hey, I've got this opportunity. It's an NFT drop, blah, blah, blah. And the first thing the celebrity says is, I don't want to be like Kim. How am I, how are you protecting me? And the business manager doesn't have a good answer for that. So that opportunity goes to the bottom of the pile and they move on to other business. Um, so, so I think it gets cleaned up really easily just from that um, because no one wants to lose their job. Um, that's on the that's celebrity scary side. though. Yeah, that's scary. It's really scary. Like, you know, people come to me with opportunities and I'm always thinking, you know, how can I not get fined or end up in jail? So celebrities have teams that are now going to be hypersensitive to that. So that'll take care of itself. Where it's going to be a lot harder to clean up um, is within the crypto space. Um, influencers, media companies, the shenanigans that happen with pump and dump schemes and, and all these different things because that's a little bit more opaque. And, and, um, and, and to be frank, the people perpetrating those frauds don't really have much to lose, right? If you're a celebrity, you're a football player, you're making 5 million, 10 million, 20 million a year, you don't need this shit. So you just don't yeah. do it. Well, and, and so I wonder what the impact is beyond that, because 
one of my favorite stats is Chris Brown was, he had a Chris Brown officially branded NFT project that he was advertising to his tens of millions of Instagram followers. Um, it didn't even mint like a thousand of the 10,000 and they like weren't that expensive. Um, so I wonder what the impact really of celebrity shilling is. It's like, you know, we've got a lot of work to do before celebrity shilling even matters, you know, uh, at least in well, my eyes. And what's the difference between Kim Kardashian posting on Instagram and um, I didn't actually watch it, but one of the celebrities who did a Super Bowl ad shilling FTX or Coinbase or something yeah, like there's that. There's no bright light. There's no clarity on that. You're right. I mean, well, that's And that's sort of, I mean, like, what? so if you, if you, or on a big enough. It's harder to fight Coinbase in court. I'll, I'll, well, I'll tell you the I'll tell you the difference. Double the, the, the difference is, if you're advertising FTX or Binance, it's akin to you advertising interactive brokers, right? Or eToro. Yeah. Um, all you're doing is advertising a forum where you can go and and perform certain actions. If you're advertising a specific NFT or a specific coin, that's like you getting on TV saying buy Shopify stock. You can do one, but you can't do the other. Right. Well, well right. But I, and I, again, like I'm sort of in the dark because I didn't actually see her, her advertisement. But if she never said, like, buy this thing, if she just talked about the great utility that this token is going to offer, so on and so forth, like, then, then it, to me, it falls but into the same category of just there's a the big difference, though. And this is, this is a topic we talk about all the time because we want to be real clear on this. If you are a product, an actual product like Resonate was yesterday, fine. If you're an infrastructure provider that somebody can use or not use your shit, fine. If you're a project that solely wants to engage an influencer to pump your token and that influencer is talking only about your token, that's when you're per you're performing an unregistered yeah. security promotion. I don't right. think you'd advertise I, yeah. like an asset ever. I think you just advertise. I mean, I guess you was saying like Ethereum Max is the coin, you know, oh, the awesome utility. Whoa, you're going to have a wallet in 14 years and then pay to play game. <laughs> It's going to be so dope. Um, but really, it's like, oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> double service is yoked. Y'all better, yeah. better back off. Yeah. Wait, wait, do that again, Double Sharp. I missed it, bro. Come on. By the way, <laughs> bro, on, just on King Kardashian and in terms of what, what this human would do for money, um, I saw a leaked um, – Invoice, dude. What? What are we talking about? The first, <laughs> the, the dude, first thirty days. <laughs> the first thirty days of her sex tape, uh, she made one point three million dollars. So that was oh, shit. That wasn't a leak tape. That was a commercial enterprise. Yeah. She entered a contract with a distributor, and I, I've seen the invoice. It's real. It's, it's it's all over the place. You can Google it. So that was a long time ago. Now she's a, Did that ruin it for you? If, if it's gonna get out, you might <laughs> make some money from it. I, I, They're famous I say, for being I say famous. Profit away. Yeah. 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 Watch that. I watch. I I somehow missed like the <laughs> you watch news, and then the the like there was a movie, and then there was something else, and then there was a documentary on Netflix, and I just saw the documentary on Netflix, so I'd never heard about it before. But that I mean, part of the it's the whole like teenagers who are robbing celebrities. <laughs> Because yeah, that's what like, I watched. That's oh, the, I the bling, the bling ring. That, yeah, that yeah. was a good and, one. The bling ring. And like they the did sort of go into like, you know, the whole Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian being famous for being it, famous. And um, right. it was kind of, I thought it was hilarious at the end. The very last thing was Paris Hilton being like, I hope this is a lesson about how we need to stop worshiping celebrities so much. And I was like, <laughs> bingo. Yes.
but but it is i mean you I know i like Paris Hilton. i i haven't actually seen the um the, the ads <laughs> that that are in question so who knows like where she actually crossed the line and i'm assuming if they if she like settled then then her and her attorneys agreed that probably there was some rule that she violated or she probably wouldn't have settled it. I mean, the, the point that matters is yeah. when Austin said that they might be trying to set a precedent, like if they can get 10, 10, 10 20 of these settlements on settlements on the books, the implication is that these things were securities and they could point to that in later legis legislation or, or whatever, and, and use that as the groundwork to call everything else a security. So it, you know, we can joke about it, but I think it's positive in terms of cleaning up, the shenanigans that go on, but from a regulatory standpoint for the rest of crypto, um, they're they not going to stop and they're going to play dirty. I made this point a couple of weeks ago and they're just going to keep going and they're going to find ways to make it difficult. And um, betting against them uh, is kind of silly because they have all the power. Yep. Can Elon Musk, can they get Elon Musk for all that <laughs> shit? <laughs> like, there, so Maybe, why are they going to... after the easy targets? It's like, there's something that has Elon Musk, he though. probably has 10 lawyers. who. But I don't think money. he wasn't, um, I mean, if they didn't money. pay him, I think that would be the difference, right? Like he was yep. just chilling yeah. it of his own accord, Mark, I guess. Mark, Mark Cuban has done the same thing for Dogecoin. He accepts it for tickets at, at the Mavs arena in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... You know, I, I guess there's ways of, of promoting something. Yeah, yeah. He, ex Do he you can pay for stuff in in the Mavericks Arena with Dogecoin. Um, Doge about to be the, the premium, currency of Twitter. Is that a, a premium collateral, Dogecoin? Could be. It'll be. It's, I guarantee it'll be the. I need to do my diligence on Dogecoin. I really wrote it off, but now. Uh, it seems so pretty one thing I just want to jump in before we wrap up this topic, because we need to. And, and one thing that hasn't really been mentioned yet is uh, not sure if you guys know, but Kim Kardashian is is actually trying to become a lawyer. I know that's, that's a thing. And uh, for her to be entered into the bar in California, there is all sorts of shit that they have to do. But part of that is if she has a conviction with the SEC or even admits to guilt with the SEC based upon promoting an unregistered security, that could bar her from getting in. So Absolutely. when they brought this against her, they knew this was a slam dunk. She was going to settle. And that's why it was ah. almost like instantly she took the settlement. They moved forward with the press in regards Dude. to it. And, it, and that's really what they're, I think from my perspective, that's what they're looking for. Right. Dude, because she didn't, snake. she did not admit any guilt or, or agreed yeah. anything that they exactly. said. She just settled. Shut up. Yeah. They, they do Let's a lot move of on. stuff. Like just on that point, Austin, they play dirty, right? If if you're about if you if you're about to do a merger or an acquisition, yeah, they'll hang something like this over you so that it doesn't, you know, like they are going to play dirty, and and everyone's joking about it. But if you leave yourself exposed and and you're kind of high profile, um, you should be prepared to defend it. Mm -hmm. That's scary. Yep, good point. Good point. So scary. next topic I want to bring us into, and it's actually a really good topic. So the uh, the new Phantom uh, Validator Rewards, right, which was a vote that's been going on since Christ walked the earth to get uh, <laughs> the rewards for staking lowered on the Phantom Network, actually did pass uh, a couple days ago, and I believe it's been implemented at this point. And I want to speak on this real quick because I don't know that there were a lot of people that were around when we initially went from like a 35% staking APR down to what they deemed at the time to be liquid staking, which it, it 
that never panned out because we never got FUSD. But my point is, uh, we went from 35% down to if you lock for an entire year, you can have up to 14% APR. And I've seen a lot of chatter where people are saying, oh my God, you're lowering the staking rewards. People are going to leave the network. It's not true. It's not true. I've, I've, I've been through this. I've watched it happen. It, now that 30% that we were getting ages ago back in, you know, I'd say 2020, that was with no lock. Now, if you lock, if you, if you stake now with no lock, you're getting roughly, or it was 4%, it's probably less now. So if you, if you take us going from 35% to 4% with no lock, and that didn't cause an exodus either. And so I, I don't want people thinking, oh shit, they lowered the validator rewards. Now we're not going to have uh, X, Y, Z. This is a real calculated move from the Phantom Foundation. They know exactly what kind of runway they have to emit tokens to keep people incentivized to validate the network. And from my talks with uh, you know Sam and Mike and those guys, a, a lot of what the validator incentives were going to be later, once these started to trickle out, uh, were really contingent upon network activity that there was going to be, you know, they were assuming that there would be such a flurry of network activity that validating the network at that point was going to make financial sense for people. We entered into a bear market and network activity across the board has gone down. And so it should be mentioned that they're looking four or five years out in the future, trying to solidify that runway to ensure that when that time comes and Phantom is fully emitted, that they have proper things in place to ensure that the network still gets validated. That's my rant. Who wants to take this one? There's more to it. Who wants to talk about the vault? The vault's a nice little uh, I mean, on the validator thing, like it's also like, what, what are your alternatives? Like if you were going to say, you know, People are going to stop validating the network and go elsewhere. I mean, if you look around at the other ecosystems, it's it's four percent, it's five percent, it's I think on the high end is like six point seven for the same time frame. So if there were you know massive alternatives of you know just a better better scenario for you as a staker, then I would say you know then there's you know there's there's risk uh, you know an opportunity cost where people go to other places, but that doesn't really exist now. They're on a level playing field. They've got two point seven more years of runway. Which is obviously a great thing. So if you're a phantom maximalist or just a, a big, you know, believer in, in the network itself, then this is a positive all the way around. So I think it's it's the right move by the foundation. I, I can someone explain the vault? Right. Go ahead, Nick. Sorry. No, I just I think both things can be right. I think the foundation uh, has made the right move um, by getting more runway at an opportune time in a bear market. Um, so that's true. But I also think that you know you could see short term pressure on the price of FTM as people reevaluate their options. Those two things can be true at the same time. I think long term, it works itself out. Um, I don't think there's just going to be a mass exodus or, or, or anything like that. Some people have DM me asking the question. Um, but, you know, uh, higher yield is better than lower yield. So, so, you know, it's certainly not all positive. There has to be some short term volatility on the back of it. But I don't think it's going to be anything dra drastic. Sorry, back to you. I do think the introduction of the ability, to, you know, FUSD again, not happening or still hasn't happened. But if they were to introduce that for you to be able to, you know, unlock uh, your capital that you have locked up staking, I mean, that adds a huge amount of uh, interest, at least from my perspective. Now, you look at you look at options like Stater. 
which they are a true liquid staking option. And the fact that that, that has happened on Phantom and that does exist and it's so prevalent with collaterals at Granary and there's all sorts of different pools where you can earn. I would say that that's, you know, to Nick's point, there probably will be an ebb and flow of people leaving for a second and then coming back. Not enough to make a dent in the market or that you would even notice. Um, but I think Stater... That's something we didn't have back in 2020. And so having that ability to have liquid staking is is massive, in my opinion. That does also, I mean, just the if I, I don't know Stater's tokenomics entirely, but if I'm assuming that at least some of their profit is based on the rewards that are being emitted from Phantom. So cutting those rewards does mean that it's going to be a little bit harder for them to be profitable too, I think. Yep. Um, and it And it's not just, so there's, and also on Phantom, there's two sides of the staking. Also, there's the validator staking and then delegated staking. And so with the delegated staking, I think that's what Clay was just mentioning. You'll see, um, you know, why if, if you're going to get the same rate on another network, I don't necessarily know that you would bridge to another network um, to get the same rate on in, in some other token necessarily. Um, but I, I think that you might see people reevaluate whether they want the you know relative security of, of phantom staking versus doing something else in d5 they think that they can get better than six percent or close to it and then on the validator side your your income is uh based on the amount that you have staked the rewards that you're earning on that the delegated stake those rewards and then you get some of that commission so if the total amount of rewards is is less then that means that you're earning less which me means that you have less to apply towards the cost of running a validator which on phantom isn't insanely expensive but it's not cheap because the of the hardware requirements so it does for a larger validator it'll still make sense it makes it harder to to lower the self-stake um, along with the rewards for example and then have, still have that be profitable to expand the number of validators but I, th I think it'll still, um, and I haven't looked at the exact math, but I'm sure it'll still be um, profitable for validators, at least um, the larger ones. And then, you know, the additional runway does give the foundation more time to build the network up, get more transaction fees, get more projects launched on the network. Um, and then, you know, you might need to see some adjustment to what the fees are on the network to get those up. Uh, in combination with volume so that those can pay for the hardware costs of running the network. And wasn't there, wasn't there an upgrade going on? I don't know if it was Pebble DB or one of those, but something was going to help lower the hardware requirements to run. SnapSync. Yeah, is Snap it SnapSync? Okay. And Pebble, and Pebble DB and uh, a lot of that stuff will. Um, yeah. Well, it's all, help. it's all kind of, uh, wrapping into like a, a, a friendlier validator package. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, the shimmer, <laughs> I have spent at least 10 to 15 I've gotten lost. At the Guys, my son, my son was having a hard day the other day. I don't remember what the context was, but I pulled him in my office. I said, shh, and I just put it on. I said, stare at that for the next 10 minutes. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 wish, I wonder how many cumulative hours everybody has spent staring at that the the shimmer uh, transaction it's... visualizer so we but, didn't talk about the vault oh uh i'm actually gonna gonna pull you back a step further even um because i i think i have a really important perspective well not i'm not oh so important 
Beavis was talking about. <laughs> but uh, I, I think an, a very important perspective that myself and many of my peers have about the um, uh, interest rate update uh, is Ethereum switches to proof of stake and they can now deliver through stake ETH um, a essentially risk-free 5.5% APY. And right now it's technically not fully risk-free. It'll, it'll be probably another six months or so before people can withdraw um, easily. But the, think of this like the treasury bonds of crypto, you know? So we have what's essentially like the LIBOR rate, you know, it, it's, it's 4%. Um, so every single network, every single interest provider, every single yield provider, every single project needs to measure their products against that 4% rate and create their products with that in mind. Um, so right now, like I see Phantom, I compare it to Ethereum. And, and the nice thing about Phantom um, is, uh, you know, there's a lot of upside potential, you know? Um, so the issue there is as far as like gaining interest. So if, if you're looking at these investments especially during a bear market is purely like, you know, I don't care about volume. I just want yield. I want the best, you know, interest bearing product that I can find, which is like, honestly, like what the story is going to be for the next year while we crab around these, these low levels. ETH is just like infinitely scalable. It can scale to billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. Um, and moving Phantom to 6% in that context, I, don't really think is competitive enough to warrant holding the FTM token or staking the FTM token. Um, that is my personal opinion. Um, and and I, I think there will be a point where, you know, because Phantom is more of a speculatable asset, you know, money will flow from ETH staking or from these, these ETH products to Phantom. Um, and so the like bare bones ecosystem participants aren't going to have a really great time. Um, but S SFTMX does enable people to generate a lot more yield uh, off of their staked phantom. Um, so you've got that 6% plus like you can deposit in granary and maybe push that up to 10, 12%. Maybe you LP with a loan off that. Maybe you can push that up to 13, 14%. Uh, but as far as risk-free interest goes for the people that don't want to do all the crazy stuff, um, I feel like Ethereum, we're just going to see continuing to absorb um, the entire industry, uh, to be quite honest. Um, Steeth is just like, I look at Steeth and, and it, it changes how DeFi products are going to be developed going forward, just because now we have a benchmark interest rate to measure everything against. And it's a bear market and interest rates are low. And honestly, that 4% on ETH is freaking juicy. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of like where I stand on the whole thing. I, I think, as far as interest goes, it's not competitive enough with Ethereum um, to like, you know, you've got the hurdle rate. So if you want to move up to this risk level, I don't think an extra 2% is going to get you there um, on Phantom. Uh, so that's that's my only concern. But the thing is, like, Phantom shouldn't really care that much um, because, you know, Phantom just needs to execute their roadmap and, and be speculatable when the market turns back up um to kick things up a notch again so um it is it is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out um and i just like over the past months 
ETH has just been continuing to absorb uh, TVL, AUM, what have you. Um, so I think this is just going to push more people toward ETH. Yeah, I, I still think the the ability to borrow against staked Phantom would be really, really valuable. Like to well, me, well, and having it native, in you the can water. borrow against staked ETH too. You know, um, right? And you can borrow way better assets and mm. and be on way higher volume markets. You know, well, I'm, I'm you know, just saying uh, for products that don't exist, like right now, if that was something that they ended up doing, I think there's a lot of like there's value there. I mean, just by itself. Well, and there's huge value in them, hopefully getting. FUSD deployed if it ever happened because there are fees associated with that and those fees are going to go to subsidize the validators again these are things that like you really want to you want to start thinking about how can we ensure that people are going to continue to validate this network now to move on just a little bit uh, to talk about the phantom uh, vault which is so a couple of months ago there's there was uh, a release done now this is not a new release but it turns out uh, something like help me out if I get this wrong but something like 30% of the block fees were going into this burn. They were calling it a burn. And since the beginning of time, there's been roughly 8 million phantom burned, give or take. But they weren't actually being burned. Uh, they were being sent into a contract and just kind of sitting there. And so a vote was taken. Correct me there, Double Sharp? No? No, uh, they, were they, they, being burned? They, they were not. They were being indirectly burned in that they were never being emitted. The the ah. uh, new vault is a new a new update to the SFC that, that sends them to it. Can you explain what it is exactly? Yes. Yeah, so um, as Austin was saying a few months ago, when um, the the Phantom incentives were uh, program was ended in favor of Gitcoin, one of the uh, the results of that was a proposal to um, send some of those burn tokens to um, an ecosystem support vault to help um, you know fund new projects existing projects etc ecosystem projects and so the way it was working before is 30 percent of the transaction fees were just being removed from the rewards that were given to validators to compensate them for running the network and um when this rate change was made to the rewards i was just sort of snooping around on uh, ftm scan as i do sometimes and noticed that there was another update to set a treasury address on the sfc as well and i I've looked at the SFC extensively and was like, oh, there didn't used to be a treasury address there. And I looked and um, followed the the address to a multi-sig that has, it's not a new multi-sig, which I thought was a little interesting, but it, it was used in the past for something. Um, it now has, um, I think, 744,000 phantom in it. And I don't know if that was... Uh, you know, some sort of calculation based on what the funding would have been if this program was active for some period of time, or if it was just someone being nice or someone forgot that I, it was there. I do think no that's idea. what it is because it's, it's 30% well, yeah. goes burned and then 30% of that goes to the vault. So that, that checks out, right? Yeah. When I just, I'm just totally speculating. Cause this is, like I said earlier, this, I don't actually have any information other than spying on FTM scan and like finding this address. So I know that it is active. There is, I looked at the SFC code that's in GitHub and 10% of those fees or 10% or of the transaction fees. So 33% of that burned amount are now being sent to this multi-sig. I don't know what the plans are for actually well, distributing it yet or anything. I might have wasn't that part of the new them. incentive project? I mean, that we talked about that. You know, I think on the second to last episode of Unchained, where they were going to take ten percent and use it mm -hmm. to fund protocols. Mm -hmm. That's what. Yeah. It is, that, right? Well, that but the only information was the the like 
Twitter post and then um, the yeah. governance vote a few months ago, and I haven't seen any actual updates to what, like, I don't know how you would apply for a grant or, or how those gotcha, are distributed. Gotcha. Or I mean, It's in a multi-sig, so people have to approve it, but I don't know. Right, how but right, the Gitcoin coming, I mean, honestly, let's be real. That's not going to amount to any real amount of funding for a while well, until either Phantom goes up or, I mean, because we in three years, it generated 700,000 Phantom. Like, we're, unless oh, network activity just but spikes. This, you know? This is total. This is not the. Um, this is different from the Gitcoin grant. So this is a right. Separate this is different. Yeah. Ecosystem support vault that has you know whatever you know hundred some thousand hundred and sixty thousand dollars or something like that seven hundred and fifty ish thousand um, Phantom. If the price of Phantom goes up, then there'll be more U.S. dollar value in there, obviously. But then the the Gitcoin grants are separate, and when they, um, you know, it's been a while. So I was actually just secretly checking the post on Twitter because I couldn't remember. But um, it's supposed to be a 335 million phantom grant program through Gitcoin. The way the Gitcoin grants work is that they there's different rounds, different amounts of them get um, get put. Uh, you know, you, you add your matching funds to different rounds and then people can create their proposals, get their users to donate, get matching funds. And so how much is actually distributed through the Gitcoin grants is going to be dependent on some of those parameters of how much is going into each round, how many people are submitting proposals, how many people are. Um, well, I guess it really comes down to like the matching and then and then how many proposals that are that qualify for the matching but i don't know what the plan is for actually distributing them but even at the the current price of phantom 335 million is still um was that like 335 10, million 75 oh, million dollars or something like that yeah oh yeah about the the total dollar amount of the grant program <clears throat> yeah yeah gotcha gotcha all right so uh not to not to cut us off or move us on but uh hey if you guys want to be cool like like ryan collies do me a favor and like the video and subscribe to the channel just like bebus did and you too can wear a shirt with dragons on it all right <laughs> so moving on uh god man i hate I hate it when the, the web two people get screwed by Alex Mashinsky. I mean, it's like the guy is just, you know, you don't you don't understand enough about investing in DeFi. You come into this thing called Celsius. You, your father-in-law told you it's the it's the tits, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you put your money in there and you not only do you lose it, but then they dox your wallet. Uh, and that's something that happened the other day. Uh, does anyone know the actual numbers of people that were using Celsius? Is it actually like 14 million or something stupid like that? Can anyone anyone help me out with that? I, I don't know the exact number. It was it was in the millions for sure. It was a lot. I mean, everybody yeah, was so docked by name. They released the court documents, which had the the time. It was the timestamp and the amount of deposit that was made with a name attached wow. to it. Is that correct? And, and essentially, all you have to do is you just need to go to the Block Explorer and match it up. And boom, you've got a wallet address with a name attached to it. So this is huge. This is absolutely the greatest fuck up of all time. I mean, there's been some big ones, but at least, you know, at least the BNB hack got some TVL on Phantom. I mean, this this really has no upside to it. It's got no it's got no silver lining. And uh, so, th again, we're just we're continuing to see shockwaves of the uh the market's never going to go down euphoria that we were all feeling everyone leveraged up you know to their chins and and here we are is there uh, is there a, a decentralized i know that there's people working on this but is there like a front runner of decentralized kyc that doesn't require uh storage of user details on centralized servers 
I mean, I assume this is happening no. somewhere. Is that well? Can, actually, it, it, like, it like ZK ID. It is. Yeah, ID? It is happening, but the 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 data is still stored on a centralized server. It's it's just like. But, uh, is it is stored there, on a server that's that's like not whipped up by like Alex Mashinsky's nephew? You know, I think <laughs> could they use the could they use zero knowledge proofs to somehow technically uh, pr prove an identity without yeah. having to store your? I mean, that seems to me. To I be think like Polygon is working on that with Polygon ID, um, where ah, that, whereby okay. you you can it without storing any state verify that a person's information is correct. Um, and then, you know, uh, hash all of their information together or, or provide them like a hash saying this person is KYC, this person is verified. But the thing is, like the reason you KYC is this, so that someone can like sue you down the road. So it's like you can make it yeah. so you, you can own your KYC, you know, um, you can make it so like only you can access it and that like only a handshake algorithm can can actually illuminate it for and then and then close it down again in kind of a permissionless sort of way using like an HSM server and you know all sorts of different applications and clients and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like KYC is a liability uh, because it it needs centralized storage because someone needs to be able to sue you. Um, that's that's why it exists. You need to be able to go to jail. AML, AML even more so than KYC because yeah. that's yeah. auditable and you actually need to say, like if somebody comes back and says, who made this transaction, you need to be able to look it up and tell them. So it, there's really in that context, even if it was on chain, you still need a way to be able to find out who it is. And that's going to be a, a weak Dude, point. Like when we KYC'd with Circle, that kind of stuff. Yeah. When we KYC'd with Circle, they needed like a gallon of our blood and like, you know, <laughs> they, they told me some things visit. that I needed to fix with my registration, business registration. I didn't even know about. So do we all like, know somebody whose name is on that list? Like, does everyone know someone that was in uh, Celsius? No, an, my, uh, an Uber driver uh, once talked to me about Celsius for like 30 minutes um, on a trip. That referral fee, to, baby. I told him. I told him to watch the podcast. I'll just make a point here about um, you know the the doxing thing is an absolute um, shit show, but but it's instructive, um, you know, in 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 what comes next for people watching. When, when you're thinking about investing in something and and you're listening to a company company speak or an individual speak, you can track some of these patterns back to things we've seen. Um, in the last year with Mashinsky and with Do Kwon, I I'll remind you that the day before Celsius um, shut down and, and froze withdrawals, um, the day before, this guy was on Twitter writing detailed tweets, not one-liners like, like Do Kwon, detailed tweets about how everything was okay and nobody should be panicking. The day before. So this guy either um, was completely lying or... He was completely incompetent and had no control over his company and people shut it down without his input. Um, either way, you're screwed. So when you start seeing these things in the next bull run, um, you can start to identify situations to avoid. I made a video like in May when this thing first happened with Celsius and it was very, very clear that if someone tells you everything is fine on a Tuesday and then 24 hours later, they shut their doors, you know, run for your life. And what's happened since then? 
people are in this crazy scheme to squeeze the sell token and and all these different proposals about you know Mashinsky being able to save the, the the company and all this stuff. It's absolute rubbish. The day before it shut, he said everything's fine. So don't make the same mistakes again if you've already made it once. Is my advice. Yeah, I mean, and he drew, he withdrew ten million dollars seven days he's going before to jail. he shut down. Yeah, exactly. This guy like, he's going to jail. But, but I mean, we have CFI products masquerading as DeFi products, and and it sounds like if you guys don't all know someone's name on that list, then probably a lot of our friends who are DeFi sort of centric are not involved in this stuff. But you know, reading the understanding the T's and C's of what you're signing up for, anything that's CFI based is going to happen. So he's going to be uh, playing tennis with Doquan. <laughs> you know, they're going to be yeah. eating like you know, probably better than me. <laughs> the same, the same prison Martha Stewart went to jail too. Um, and then, and then they can get a deal smoking weed with Snoop when they get out. So, all right, let's uh, let's move on just a little bit. So, so Clay, you and I had uh, we did a, a Twitter Spaces with the AVAX crew the other day, Daniel and Yusin and and Mikhail, and, and they mentioned something really interesting that I kind of wanted to get the developers' point of view on. Uh, the bottom row uh, is that they had talked about. Uh, vertical scaling versus horizontal scaling and you know you can go up with layer twos and layer threes and layer 80s or you can enable subnets or individual layers on top of the 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 main consensus do you guys have an opinion on this i know buns you're building on avax that's something that you're doing do you have an, an opinion on this Thank yeah you. i'm not i am building on avax we, we didn't go with a subnet route but I've done a, a lot of research on the subnet route in case that is somewhere where we want to go in the future. And ultimately, like you said, yes, Avalanche is a consensus network and there are subnets and the subnets are basically their own sovereign networks where the, the subnets able to define things like the membership, uh, the token economics, the execution logic, even the fee regime. So if they decide to have the fees go to a treasury, for example, you can make that happen with a subnet. So basically the way that it operates is a subnet takes out a slice of the validators and it functions basically as like a blockchain as a service. Um, so it's secu it's secured by some portion of the Avalanche block uh, blockchain, uh, the Avalanche network validators. And it allows for, if you are a subnet, for you to do some kind of neat things. Like, so for example, if you want to ensure that you are in line with the, like some sort of regulations, you can ensure that the validators all belong to a certain um, set of nations or states. Um, you can make sure that the uh, the fees structure is in line with what you want. Um, the interesting aspect is though, that in order to, you saw this incentivize the validators. So um, there are some subnets that have their own fee structure that uses a, a token that's not Avalanche as a way to pay for it. So I found that kind of interesting. Um, and it hasn't been it hasn't been played out in a way where there are multiple blockchains within that subnet, but that's also theoretically possible. Um, so that's another interesting thing. And, and a lot of the the impetus for people to use this the subnet infrastructure is around gaming, like uh, like you're talking about in the in the Twitter space as well. So that's my little two cents. They, they actually do have a subnet with multiple chains, which is the main Avalanche chain. The, the PC yeah. and X chain are all on, on a, technically on a subnet. Other than that. So, subnet. And they, the other, to... they also oh, just sorry, changed it. I just wanted to add like with the, um, the BAMP release that they just put on the test net. And I think it's supposed to go main net in a couple weeks, but they, they've updated the way that the subnet um, allocations work. So instead of specifying specific validators to participate in your subnet, you can define staking rules um, for proof of stake so that you can 
the idea is that you'll be able to have uh, you know much larger subsets of the, the fan, or I'm sorry the avalanche validators participating in a subnet and you can incentivize them through your own staking rewards like like Munz was saying there's all sorts of fee structures you can do one cool thing like Munz also mentioned is with being able to use your own tokens you can create a token on the avalanche um, mainnet and then use that as the gas token on your subnet so you can sort of um, do interesting things with the tokenomics um, by by actually using it on your subnet that are now rewarding participants of the you know the total avalanche validators to participate in that subnet using your token uh, which will also mean that validators can participate in multiple subnets at the same time so you could be staking avax and and you could also be staking some other token on some other subnet and you know up to however many uh, subnets your your validator can handle, which means that um, you could actually be staking multiple chains at the same time from the same validator and or earning rewards uh, across all of those those different um, you know the different staking parameters. Then you know the other thing that I thought was really interesting is similar to how they've implemented the multiple chains um, for CX and P. You don't have to use any particular virtual machine. With, with Avalanche, so they, they're putting together all this stuff so that you can, right now you can already define which VM you want to use on your subnet, so that could be an EVM, um, it could be some other virtual machine, and then they're putting together an SDK so that you can develop your own virtual machine to run in your own subnet that wow. you know maybe isn't even necessarily a blockchain, it could be a P2P uh, system, it could be um, more centralized, it really just depends on if according to the the tech thing that I watched, as long as you can execute your VM into a binary that can run and, and let the system know that it's running, then you can have subnet validators run that executable for you and then reward them for running it. You know, there are some think, days when I think Double Sharp has like an army of clones at his house, <laughs> like just reading smart contracts, everything. sending the information back to the host. Because I don't know how you find all of this in 24 hours in a day, bro. It's out of, out of control. Go ahead, Ebus. I'm sorry. And monitoring Binance attacks. Yeah, <laughs> at the same time. Um, do, you think, do you think subnets uh, could replace Enderman? I mean, the, the actual... How easy I, are they to use? They seem up. to be very so really easy. They're very easy. Mm -hmm. And I think they're actually like the um I sent a I'll send a link to the um the podcast that I watched with their I think it's their VP of engineering or one of their senior um engineers or, or part of their engineering department and was talking more about their long-term vision, which is cross-subnet communication. So being yeah. able to you know send messages between um instead of bridging, you'd be able to send cross-subnet. Uh, communication to you know do whatever the the thing is um, between those two subnets, you know, and the the other sort of fee feedback that they said that they were getting is like, well, haven't you just moved the problem to subnets now? You still haven't actually scaled it. Um, if if a subnet gets too large, what are you going to do then? And I you know, which I thought was a valid criticism. And the response was that the that's where the multiple being able to run multiple chains come in. So yeah. you would need to sort together. of do horizontal scaling within your subnet, which is already horizontally scaled on top of all these. How problems. easy is it to bridge to a subnet? Like do they have bridge infrastructure um between the C net and the subnets? I believe I haven't actually I, I, I think they do I like connect, so. I think is one. Yeah. Okay. 
think so really, really interesting. They, and they are they're Shimmer. definitely taking the the opposite approach to say Phantom, for example, which is focused on vertical scaling. Avalanche right. is very much focused on horizontal scaling. With Avalanche wants to be the, the AWS. Shimmer thing that they're launching. <laughs> Ooh, I'm sorry, Bunch. I was just saying oh, Avalanche wait. wants to be the AWS of uh, a blockchain seed. So I was just saying well, a little. So does Chainlink. And I'm not sure how this exactly works, but like so on Shimmer, not to you know continue to talk about them, but but so each so they have I want to call it their version of subnets. It's really the only way that I could understand it, but it's multiple layer ones built on top of the consensus. The but the tokens are all composable, right? Like, and I'm gonna say that as if I understand what that means. I <laughs> I, I just liken it to ETH or Phantom native on the network, but they can seamlessly bridge. Yeah. All of so, like, it's it's like imagine without the if need for a bridge, yeah. a bunch of consensus level network tokens, and then you had all these VMs and execution layers beneath. So the the consensus level tokens can like float everywhere, and then when they interact with a particular chain, you're interacting with the wrapped uh, version of that token. Um, so imagine like FTM versus USDC. One is consensus level; you can like transact with it for dirt cheap. One is USDC, and, and it's a ERC twenty, and it's for interacting with smart contracts, and that's a <coughs> that's a really good design, um, and and I really really hope they dig in hard uh, promoting that and, and building tools for it because you know I I think you know myself and and many other people probably Buns included um, and and other like project founders it's like eventually you know you have enough mass within your like, you know, project portfolio or whatever, where you're like, maybe I should just make a blockchain. Um, And, you know, the easier, more secure, less risky the solution, the better. Um, And and I see right now Tendermint as as a big leader. Subnets, it seems like might even be blazing past. Tendermint is Cosmos, by the way, Adam. Um, And and it seems like their value capture model is way better as well. Uh, so I could see Avalanche, like, I mean, that's, I mean, they're already a top project, but that I had no idea um, that subnets were, were that weighty. Um, and then Shimmer coming in with an offering that I think makes even more sense than the subnets, having the consensus level token transfers, um, but subnets exist now. Um, so that's like really, really cool. Um, I need to read some documentation. Yeah. And it, <laughs> I, it does sound like what Shimmer is doing is at least conceptually similar to, to Avalanche subnets. There's, you know, obviously a lot of differences there, um, yeah. but it is it is, you know, uh, being able to have different blockchains running on top of the consensus layer is sort of what it comes down to. Um, the the thing that I forgot to mention earlier in this video that I thought was really interesting is um, the engineers at Avalanche are using their chain as to test out. VMs and stuff as well, sort of using subnets to test out VMs. So instead of having a monolithic chain where your execution engine, your consensus and all of that is really tightly coupled, because it's all composable and modular on Avalanche and you can plug in different VMs, you can spin up, you could try out a new VM, spin up a subnet with some validators, try it out, see how it works. It's great. You could still spin it down and iterate on it. It doesn't work. You could just throw it away. Um, but it lets you iterate really fast on some of the blockchain components. Yeah, that aspect of being able to leverage your own VM, I think, will make it very competitive, especially where a lot of the other uh, the other competitors to Avalanche are touting their ability to have their own types of VMs that could theoretically be ported into a subnet. So, and yeah, also, if even... you want to go to avascan.info, you can check out some of those subnets as well. 
They were yep. talking about what? having. Um, or, yeah, go ahead, Austin. I was going to make a troll comment. Yours will be way better than mine. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I was going just going to say that it does um, even like the ability to, to swap out the VMs is really interesting because you have, uh, you know, move is getting all of this, uh, you know, chatter lately of, of like it's the Aptos or it's a, a VM language. Aptos is going to use it. But um, Avalanche has the capability of just implementing a move VM yeah. They could execute move contracts <laughs> on top of that, and so they kind of are able to do. That's um, beast. They would then be able to do some of that stuff. So it really, could, but they also said that like they don't want to be the ones <laughs> writing and maintaining all of these VMs. So their their goal is to have the um, network primitives, blockchain primitives, put everything in place so that other people can write and maintain VMs for whatever the popular thing is, which at the moment happens to be EVM and might continue to be the EVM. Um, and they, they were saying that's why the the um, main main chains that they have now, they did implement their own uh, vir virtual machine that is EVM compatible because that was what they saw as being able to sort of catapult them into more popularity to be able to get some the rest of this stuff done. But it seems like um, IOTA is taking a similar path with with Shimmer in terms of being able to to put your own chain, your own um, sort of your own network parameters on top of their their blockchain primitives. Could you make Let's an go. Avalanche subnet an ETH L2? Yes. Apparently, they, they, that was another thing they said, that apparently Bobo launched on an Avalanche subnet. Mm -hmm. They were like, so it's an Avalanche subnet L2, which you could totally <laughs> do. And it is, it's like, there are... Can you submit like, transactions to Ethereum, though, and be... Your consensus for your L2 is is the Avalanche network, and then yeah. you are uh, submitting proofs to Ethereum yes. for the yeah yeah. Ethereum. So you can leverage Damn. that. That's, that was like that's... what they were saying. That felt pretty cool. You can leverage av all that <gasps> by setting your own staking parameters. You could have your own subnet that lots of validators are participating in, and you can Use have EVM equivalents from a subnet. So you can make a zk EVM yeah. on a subnet and then plug it in. <laughs> Sorry, bro. I had to troll you. I had to troll you with that, dude. I thought that was real life. <laughs> I am. I am moving us on. Uh, we're going to the next one. I want to actually kick it over to Nick real quick, because uh, so this two Sigma Securities joins uh, Chainlink as a data provider. And when I read that initially, I go, "Why is this a topic?" But I think it actually has legs. Nick, what is this all about, dude? Yeah. So <clears throat> two Sigma is a firm not many, you know, uh, outside of finance have heard about. Um, but they are huge. Everyone's heard about Citadel. Um, you know, there was a lot of fuss about them and their involvement in the GameStop um, situation. But Two Sigma is a larger firm than Citadel. And, you know, we don't really know because they're both uh, private companies, but they've both got somewhere between 50 and $60 billion in um, AUM. Uh, Citadel is in the news more often because everybody hates the founder, Ken Griffith. He's worth about $30 billion, um, infamously bought uh, the Constitution, um, um, under the under the nose of the Constitution Dow. Um, so anyway, Two Sigma um, is a huge player. Um, it's run by a guy called David Siegel. He's worth five or six billion dollars, and they're the real deal. So what these guys do is they provide liquidity to financial markets. Um, they they hedge things out for people. They they're, they're doing high frequency trading. Um, essentially, exactly what Citadel does. These guys do, um, and they've partnered with Chainlink to provide them pr proprietary data into these oracles. Now, one of our 
three resident devs can maybe speak about, um, you know, the, the significance around getting um, accurate data and quick data into these oracles and what the implications um, are for, is for DeFi um, in that scenario. But uh, uh, the, the, the one thing I wanted to touch on is it's also very significant for Chainlink. Um, their size and market penetration is at the stage now where it really matters and is a significant competitive advantage. Um, you know, Oracle provision um, is is kind of a land grab. Once you're in there, um, I think it's difficult to swap to to, swap, to to switch out. So I think, and again, the devs can can inform us a little better. Um, but I don't really see how anyone can come close to Chainlink um, uh, based on the improvements that they've made over the last six months and signing deals with you know the masters of the universe for lack of a better phrase, like uh, Two Sigma, um, certainly extends their lead. Um, and I think the implications for accelerating the proliferation of decentralized del derivatives um, and derivatives protocols through DeFi um, probably just took a big step forward. But I'll, I'll, I'll defer to, to the devs to give us a little bit more technical um, discussion around why this is important. I think... It's more, I think that Chainlink does have a huge lead and it's not necessarily a technical one. It has more to do with, with their, the business relationships and integrations that they have. Um, so they're, they put a lot of effort into business development. I think I've joked about that in the past that they were constantly reaching out to me to use products that they didn't even have available for use yet. Um, but at the, you know, I think that that's ultimately kind of working out where you're seeing, um, lots of adoption of all of their Oracle services, price feeds. Um, now they're getting into derivative stuff. Their their um, random number yeah. is is kind of ubiquitous. Even though it may not, it's not the only way. It may not be the best way, but it's it's definitely um, you know it's it it works. It does exactly what it says it's supposed to do, and lots of people use it. And so I do think that they're grabbing more and more market share because of that, which gives them um more you know more weight behind them when they want to push into some new new segment that it's going to make it easier for them to do and have more people start adopting it than if somebody was just doing a startup to just do this one thing um so they are they are just becoming larger and larger and are going to be harder and harder to, to compete with and just another point yeah. on on two sigma um they raised 400 million dollars to invest in crypto and DeFi as a separate enterprise to, the, to, to their current business. So Citadel and these market-making firms get a lot of shit because they can front-run everyone because they see everything before everybody else. So now you've got these guys providing data to Chainlink. And at the same time, they're funding projects that are going to be the front end of whatever Chainlink provides. Mm. So, you know, um, that's a little bit conspiratory, but these guys <clears throat> know what they're doing. They're very, very strategic. Um, and to think that uh, things like this aren't going, isn't going to happen um, in DeFi moving forward, we should all be very, very careful about how we go about our business um, because they're very, very sophisticated. Nothing against Two Sigma, but just we're going to see a lot of these chess moves being played. Build out that, that Bloomberg terminal for crypto. Bingo, bingo. All right, I'm kicking us to the next one, and let's, let's keep this one to like three minutes. Solana went out again. Go. No surprise. Anyway, no surprise. Uh, no, you know what they I'm run surprised their net, about? They, 
they run their network really fast and that's what happens. And like, so to, to take the like Solana side of this, which I don't always do, um, they are running their consensus really, really fast. Their requirements for running a validator are very, very high and they still say that it's in beta. And so, you know, there was a consensus bug where basically the network was running too fast, couldn't keep up. They had to restart stuff. Um, I, I saw one post, I don't know if it was officially a Solana post or not, but they are, you know, in the, you can sort of optimize for different things and the things that they've chosen to optimize for are speed and then also safety over liveness. So they would rather have the network go down instead of it be wrong. Um, so their, their primary goal is to make it run really fast. And then the, the, they're sort of saying that the network stopping is a feature of the network as opposed to a bug if something goes wrong they'd rather have it just freeze and stop while they figure it out instead of continuing along with this with this issue but um at the end of the day i think it doesn't it doesn't really matter that much people are still using solana they still have a lot of funding yeah, yeah. i don't know nodes require terabytes of memory and the thing is like you're talking to people that have really long time horizons if your biggest issue is that like hardware isn't good enough to run your network that's an issue that, that as an investor, you can reliably understand, thanks to Myers Law or whoever's law, uh, will go away in, in five to 10 years. And, and if you're building beyond the capacity that hardware or, or the current tech can, can really help you, and you're building in a way that makes it relatively safe, um, then, I mean, the thing is, like, you're still investable and you still kind of win the long game. I mean, I think that's like people are always like, why is Solana still the number one chain? Blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, like, processing power is going to keep going up. Uh, memory is going to keep getting cheaper. Data, you know, bases are going to keep getting cheaper. Moore's Law. Thank you, Buns. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, these are problems. Like, one of their nodes requires terabytes of RAM. You know, and right now terabytes of RAM is like, geez, you know, but in five years, a terabyte of RAM might come in your freaking MacBook, you know. Wait, are you saying terabytes um, of RAM or storage space? Like, are you RAM? RAM. RAM. Okay. All so, right. yeah. I, and that's this is, that's I why mean, people invest. Th this is it's one like, that I've it's, like, yeah. Go ahead, Clay. Go ahead. I, I mean, this is one that I've like long pondered because we see mm -hmm. Solana go down all the time and the price really doesn't move. And, and really, like the best that I can come up with is that the, the measuring stick of decentralization and uptime just doesn't really apply here. Um, and, and like, so what, what I mean by that is like decentralization really doesn't matter to the masses. Um, technology, I don't think really matters to the masses. Uh, and it's sort of like, so, you know, what about your product, right? And so, um, you know, if you look at like traditional companies outside of blockchain and, and Bebeth, this, this is one for you, like does Dunkin' Donuts have the best donuts? No, but they, they sell the most donuts in, in the United States. Does McDonald's sell the best hamburgers? Definitely not. Um, is Nike They're optimizing the best for shoe? speed. They're optimizing right, not, for speed and downness. Cheap. Their ice cream it, machine is, is always down and it doesn't affect their freaking business. Yeah. And they Nike can get the best... food faster than anyone else. Fast, cheap, and accessible. Yeah. yeah and, like, and I would say they're not they're not necessarily designing for hardware that's five years out. They're just pushing the limits of of what hardware is available now and every once in a while they cross the line and something goes wrong. But I mean, the, if you're, if you're going with like an agile development approach and they're sort of testing in production sort of thing, like, you know, maybe they do get better over time and then it's uh, you know, they, they're able to run their network faster than everybody else and it never goes down. But 
Yeah. Um, but the, the, the key takeaway for me was like the value of product increases when the number of people who use it also increases. And Solana yeah. is clearly playing a different game in the space, like the network effect, right? So it's evident with growth. Last month, Solana did 135 million in NFT sales. You know, whoever they're appealing to, it's clearly driving volume in the NFT market. I think it was 130 million less than OpenSea. Uh, they have more unique one day and seven day users than Ethereum. 1.5 million per seven days than Ethereum does. So, you know, to me, like the, the, the takeaways are that like the traditional principles of, of how we measure these things just really doesn't apply here. And couple that with the fact that they're 50% VC owned. I just don't think the token price is going to go down no matter how many times it goes down. Well, and it's the same as saying that like, like having, you know, we have a podcast where we're talking about blockchain and crypto stuff. You could have a podcast where you talk about computers, and then you'd have people saying Macs are awesome, and some people are saying PCs are awesome. And no, I still use these old mainframes. That's the only way to do it. Um, you know, there's distributed ledger technology. There's, it doesn't, nothing says that it actually has to be decentralized. It's distributed. It could all be one person. It could be a proof of authority. There's like all sorts of ways to put it together. We, even same with, um, you know, central centralized currencies, nothing says that that actually has to be decentralized and run by lots of people. It could just be a government who's using a blockchain um, as as the technology to back it. So there's there's obviously a lot of people who feel like the way that Solana is doing things is fine and that they're okay with it being somewhat centralized. They're okay with the currency being controlled by VCs. And because at the end of the day, I, I think that you're right, that users don't necessarily care about the underlying technology. They just want it to be fast and cheap. Um, yeah. And then they care more about security if they, you know, have a security issue later, but that's not something that they're thinking about in the moment. So well, and they know extent, Sam's going to pump their bags later on. I mean, SBF is going to come in and just, you know, when, when the time it, is right. And they, that's, I can't, so I, I'm having, I can't necessarily fault them for saying we're making it really fast and we're, we're going to default to safety over liveness because that seems to be what users want. So and the only question I have, Clay, Clay, I got to yeah. ask you this. So mm -hmm. you mentioned that you long ponder Solana. And I'm wondering if this is the face you make when you're long pondering Solana or if you do it like on the toilet like <laughs> Bebus does. I, I was just I was just kind of <laughs> interested. All right. I'm moving us on, moving us on. So uh, CDS swaps. What the hell are they and why is Credit Suisse even in the news? Nick, you're the man with the plan. Take this over. OK, so a credit default swap is an insurance product um, in the financial markets. <clears throat> and it's used by institutional investors um, to, to hedge their books. So let's say that you've got um, <clears throat> a big position in Apple um, and you're a pension fund or you're a hedge fund. Um, you go to one of the investment banks um, that provides this service and you say, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and you say, look, I've got $100 worth of Apple stock. I want to insure it, and 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 the insurance is on whether or not Apple will default on its debt, on its bonds, if it can make if it can make its payments. So this investment bank says, well, Apple's pretty solid. They've got a few hundred billion dollars in cash. You can pay us thirty basis points to insure your position. So if you've got hundred dollars in Apple, it'll cost you thirty cents to insure your position. So that's pretty cheap. Um, now. And, and, and people use this uh, uh, very uh, frequently. But every now and again, you can use this instrument, this derivative, to make a one-sided huge bet. Um, this is what uh, Michael Burry, or Burry, 
however you pronounce it, used um, during the GFC um, in the movie The Big Short, right? So, so what he did, he went to the investment bank. He said, look, I want to make this bet. They said, yep, this is the bet. And he would have to pay the premium every single month. Um, it's also what Bill Ackman used um, in early 2020 to hedge his hedge fund positions. And he turned $27 million in premium to $2.7 billion um, of value by making this spend. So there's extreme leverage here because if you pay, let's say in the example of Apple, you pay 30 basis points. So $100, you need to pay 30 cents. If Apple defaults on its debt, um, the insurance provider, which is the bank, needs to give you the $100. So you pay 30 cents to win $100 if Apple defaults on its debt. So why is this relevant to, to, to crypto and what we were talking about during the week around Credit Suisse? Over the weekend, um, there was a lot of panic everywhere, especially in, in, in crypto Twitter because we like to amplify things. That Credit Suisse was about to go bankrupt. And the markets were about, you know, it was, a, it was another Lehman Brothers event and, and, and contagion, et cetera, et cetera. The reason people started panicking is they didn't really understand what CDS swaps are and how they're used. Um, traditionally, uh, as uh, you know, earlier in the year, the Credit Suisse spread on the CDS was 50 basis points. So that means to insure $100 worth of notional value, you would pay 50 cents. Pretty safe. In June, it got to 150 basis points. And over the weekend, it got to 350. I think it topped out at 370 basis points. So the media and journalists kind of jumped on this thing and said, okay, um, uh, the, the CDS spread has exploded. It's gone from 50 basis points to 350 basis points. But if you think about the maths behind this insurance product, if you've got $100 worth of value, and you pay $1, so 100 basis points, to get insurance on your notional value, that implies a probability uh, of that event happening of 1%, right? So effectively, and, and it's a lot more complicated than that, but for the simplicity of this discussion, let's assume that's, that that's accurate. Um, the, 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 the probability that Credit Suisse was going to go bankrupt this week um, went up from <clears throat> half a percent to three and a half percent. So it was really not that big a deal. And when the markets opened on Monday, you saw Credit Suisse drop by 10 or 12%, but the rest of the market didn't really care. So people that understand how these things work realize that, you know, Credit Suisse is probably a shit show um, and they'll end up, you know, getting sold for pieces or whatever, but it was not going to go bankrupt um, this week and it's not going to go bankrupt next week. So it's important to understand these mechanisms um, before you panic and you see things on crypto Twitter. It's actually one of the easiest things to understand um, because it's in the movie. Go back and watch the movie. It, it explains it perfectly. Um, so that's what I've got to say about Credit Suisse. It's kind of an up Nick, and you're an point. absolute legend, dude. <laughs> you are, you're, you're, you're worth watching this show just to hear you explain <laughs> that shit. So I, I got to tell you guys, so we had a hurricane in Florida, uh, what was it, last week, Clay? It was, yep. it was a real shitty hurricane. Like South Florida went underwater. We lost power for a few days. The only power I had was thankfully a little bit of cell phone power. And I had just put TikTok on my phone because we started doing these, these TikTok shorts. 
And I, I'd be damned if I didn't get sucked down a rabbit hole of like people making these funny one minute videos and shit. And after an hour of doing that, the strangest thing happened. I had this overwhelming <laughs> desire to go to go pledge allegiance to the to the the, the Chinese Communist Party after uh, being on that <laughs> app for about an hour. But but the next topic I really want to talk about is so apparently there's this huge movement of attracting the new players in the crypto space or or the new you know, massive audience that's happening on TikTok. And, and that just like hurts my heart uh, that TikTok is where we're going and fishing after the new crypto players. Does anyone have, and Nick, I want you to say FinTalk for fin me, talk. if you don't mind. Yes. Because the new that's, term. that's fin what they're talk. calling it. Dude, FinTalk fin with a thing. Go. You know, FinTalk <laughs> is now a thing. Probably there's FinBook, you know, it's like, <laughs> These forums exist. They have a bunch of people. There's going to be a full spectrum of interests. You know, this stuff is going to happen. And like, I'm a TikTok hater as much as everybody else. I think doom scrolling is going to be like the downfall of society to a certain extent. But, you know, if someone doesn't have anything better to do, you know, it's not that much worse than watching TV. And, well, you know, it's kind of like Twitter for Yeah, they have a superior AI algorithm for videos. I do want to share some yeah. stats though, real quick. So there's 1.9 billion views on videos with the the hashtag crypto. There's also a 93,000 percent increase in uh, NFT tagged videos. I don't actually know what the time frame is on that, but I do know the Red Witch said she wasn't even coming on Twitter anymore. She's only living over there on TikTok. So if you want, <laughs> if you want your horoscope read by Marin, you're gonna have to go and follow her on TikTok. But it seems to me the ability to just blow up and go viral over there is is really available if you're willing to just do something stupid uh, on video. My kids love it. And and honestly, after spending an hour on it, and I actually honestly did, I never want them to touch that app again because there is some really weird uh, adult bad shit that goes on over there. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this topic now because it just got weird. I mean, I think that there's... there's I'm going to start a, a TikTok account. Shout out to The algorithm is just detecting your proclivities, Austin. Yeah, I mean, so you're basically telling us. Oh, the really? Decided yeah, I've never seen anything inappropriate content. on TikTok. Well, when I said adult like, shit, well, I didn't mean like, just I didn't mean like Pornhub. I meant, you know, like it was it was not... They were cussing and it was... So, Nick, if you the start a TikTok, fact. the only thing I want to see is a montage of you rapidly changing shirts, like in your different, <laughs> like, like palm trees and shit set to like uh, some 80s theme music, like in the movie. That was Rad the whole genre like... of YouTube video in like the mid 2000s. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. while discussing credits. <laughs> All right. All right. Ends. We got to pick no some way. winners, man. Uh, oh, TikTok is MK Ultra on steroids. Just think about that for a little while. That was a good comment. All right, so we got to pick some winners. So I was picking. I, I've been starring these suckers uh, the entire way down, and there's been a few that I really like. Ashley Kent. I would say you're probably number two, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Mr. Clean Music with Bieber gives me Dahmer vibes uh, as the winner. <laughs> DM uh, DM Nick. Uh, for your NFT on Twitter at Nick Dracon and Nick, do you want to pick I'll the next one? Actually, drop drop us your Twitter handle or something because somebody. Oh yeah, the, that's uh, an even better idea. Uh, yeah. Do me a favor, put your Twitter handle in the chat here, Mr. Clean Music, so we know it's you. Wow, you're smart, Clay. You're a smart guy. That's why you got a college degree. Not, not me. <laughs> All right, Nick, pick one, brother. Yeah. Pick one. I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Ryan or Rin Collies R Y N E. 
I thought was a solid contributor um, to the chat throughout <laughs> the whole the whole session. So uh, I will give my the, the responsible NFT will go to him, and um, and we'll send Let's the go. fun NFT to the other lady Congrats. or gentleman. Thanks, Jenna. Thank both of you guys. Your, your submissions were killer. In the uh, in the notes here and uh, in the excuse chat. me in the chat. We're giving away board apes next week, so remember to tune in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, before we go, guys, good good show. Very very good show, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, if you've tuned in this entire time and you haven't liked or subscribed to this channel, I don't know what the hell you're doing with your life. Do me a favor, like the video, subscribe to the channel. We're going to be here bringing uh, crypto content to you every single Friday at noon Eastern. We have a shit ton of new shows coming up, including the Developers Corner uh, with uh, Double Sharp and Justin. If you if you like really just get into the minutia of their rants and when he's talking about EVMs and like handling your package or whatever the hell he was talking about earlier. Like if you really like that chat, man, that's the show for you. There's going to be hours of it. So, so hop on, be sure to watch what they're doing. My name's Austin with Black Bites. with me as always, Crypto Clay, Nick Dracon, Miss Buns, Justin Beavis and Double Sharp. And we'll catch you guys on the next live stream. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Adios. Take us out, Emmett. Oh!